Hello, and welcome back, my listeners. It's once again time for my yoga audio, your time for your mind to be on the mat. And today, we're extremely lucky to have another wonderful and creative and thoughtful guest on the show. And her name is M.E. Evans, and she's an award-winning humor writer known for her dark humor and keen observations of the human condition. She shares personal stories about family, travel, and her struggle with anxiety and depression on her blog at me-evans.com, a funny blog about terrible things. She's also the author of the fantastic book about her grad school experience called Naked in Italy, a memoir on the pitfalls of La Dolce Vita. And she's also published essays on life abroad, loss, cross-cultural relationships, and friendship in both Italy and the United States. In 2020, she started the You're Gonna Be Great self-care podcast series and the Mama M's Movie Club, films to see twice a month, followed by Zoom discussions. One of her most recent blog posts is called A Beginner's Guide to Mental Health and Healing, What I've Learned After Five Years in Therapy and How It Might Help You. And She's also a mama herself, currently parenting a toddler while hopefully writing the next great American novel or screenplay. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction and for having me on the show. Super excited to be here. Yeah, you're so welcome. And I should tell listeners as well that we met again through the wonderful world of the internet. And if I'm recalling it correctly, it was through our <laughs> our mutual love of the podcast and live show called The Moth. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've mentioned it before on here just as something that I love. And I've sent them a few pitches. They have normally live audience stages all around the country. In fact, all over the world. And I think you were actually, you were on stage for one before, right? I did. I I did a moth show in Park City during Sundance a couple of years ago. It was terrifying because it was like a bucket list thing that I wanted to do. And um, yeah, I didn't have, I only had about a week to prepare a story. And you know, you can't have notes or anything on stage. It has to be memorized, but not too memorized. And so and I hate public speaking. Like I, I get, you know, really anxious about it. And so I did it though. It was really fun. It was a really great experience. I wish that they did more of them in Utah, uh, but it's rare that they're here. So hopefully at some point I can go to California and do it again. Maybe we can go together. <laughs> that would be amazing in San Francisco. Yeah. I, I would just. I would love that. So for those of you, if you haven't checked out that podcast yet, they go back to the 90s. They have hundreds of episodes recorded. So maybe you might even find this. <laughs> um, so I wanted to see if we could start with how much I love the about me section on your website. And I'm just oh, going to read you. this because it's just like a wonderful piece of writing. So it says on her website, emmyevans.com, just a woman trying to navigate life in her 30s an international marriage, a baby, a dickhead dog, a freelance writing career, anxiety, and a love for weird and majestic animals. I occasionally write about my childhood, my immaculate conception, my dad's unibrow, my mom's camel toe 80s jeans, as (laughs) memories are roused to life by my weekly therapy appointments. I have no idea what I'm doing. So I love all that. It's so like perfectly honest. And I wanted to ask you, so who are you right now? Like telling our listeners amidst all of this, what's happening in in your world and the world right now, what is most present for you? Uh, Well, I mean, it's still all of that. Although, you know, next month, or I guess in two months, I will no longer be navigating my 30s because I will turn 40. Yeah, but still now, you know, parenting a toddler through the pandemic. Uh, still writing about my parents. Occasionally, I'm working on a, you know, my next memoir, the follow up to Naked, which is, um, uh, honestly, it should have been done by now, but it's about mental health. And I found that writing about mental health during a pandemic was really rough. So um, I took a break from that. And I don't know why I think maybe 
escapism, but I got really into writing fiction during the pandemic, which I don't do. I'm not a fiction writer. So um, I've been working on two fiction novels because I've lost my mind. And um, and then, you know, still occasionally going back and I've got almost the first draft of the, you know, follow up memoir finished. And I'm hoping to just like dive fully into it soon. I find I know this is odd, but like I find fall to be my most productive time. So I'm kind of thinking around September that I'll just like dive in and hopefully, you know, get that finished by the end of the year. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Just, <laughs> just live in the, live in the dream, the post pandemic <laughs> dream, like everyone else. <laughs> exactly. I have, we have a lot in common. We have a lot in common. I'm working on two more books too, that are also fiction. Oh, and I also find fall to be, it's like, for me, it's a mental back to school, even though I know I'm not like, physically going back to school, I just sort of had that mindset like, oh, now it's time to kind of start hibernating a little bit. And I can work more on writing, more on artwork, more on whatever creative projects I'm doing. They always had the most fuel. This podcast was launched in the fall of 2020. So I started in August, you know, recording and writing and planning it out, but it didn't launch till October. So oh, okay, I, I hear you on that. That feels like, yeah very natural to me too. Yeah. Isn't that interesting how people like have a season? Like I have some friends that like spring is their time or summer is their time. And I find that summer is the least productive time for me. Like I always seem to have opposite depression. Like I always have summer, like summer seasonal depression instead of (laughs) fall or winter. Um, So I don't know. I think it's the heat and like feeling like there's just too much going on outside to like hunker down and work maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but isn't that funny how everyone has like their productive or inspired, I should say their, their times when they're inspired. Yeah, exactly. They're most productive and most inspired. Mm-hmm. I wondered if we could get into talking about your book, mm-hmm. uh, Naked in Italy. I truly loved it. Oh, um, and I might be biased. <laughs> No, it was great. I was at the same time in reading the book, I discovered we were going to grad school at the same time in another country, obviously, but um, during the same time period. So there's so much I could relate to in your story. And listeners should know, we had one of your classmates previously on the show who you also introduced me to from South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Kule uh, Gobodo. Um, So that's another connection point that's just been fantastic. But to go back to your book, did your book come out of your blogging pieces kind of organically? Because I know you were working on your blog when you first went out there. Or was it in another way? And then how has it been received by the public? By I mean, I've read a lot of the reviews on your book, and they're all great. But friends, family, colleagues, people who are mentioned in the book, and I know you changed a lot, if not all of their names. So I'm just kind of curious how that process went and what it's been like since the release. Um, okay, well, let's see. Um, I'm like, where do I start? So the blog, I started the blog when I was living in Italy and I was going through a rough time. And I kind of just was hoping, originally it was like, I just wanted to document my experience. And then also like, I was hoping to make connections with people who were going through the same thing. Because the expat experience is so different, I think, than what a lot of people, and you know this, are very different from what a lot of people think or expect. It's really exciting, and it's also really complicated and isolating at times. And it's always low-level stress trying to navigate another culture, no matter how long you've been there. So... I kind of was hoping, you know, to meet other folks who were kind of going through the same thing. And then as I started growing an audience, the blog got bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, to where like, you know, I was getting, you know, 80,000 hits a month and it would just, and then it kept growing and growing more than that. And um, so everything was doing, you know, everything was going really well. And I started thinking like, okay, so like people are into this maybe I should start thinking about putting it together into a book. And honestly, if I was going to go back and write the book now, I think I would have done it a lot differently. I think that it would have been a two-parter. It would have been two books, you know, because when you're writing a book, unfortunately, you can't put everything in, right? Everything has to follow like the arc and the storyline. And 
and um, you know the themes and you end up kind of leaving a lot of stuff out and a lot of really funny stories got left out because they were more I mean they just didn't fit in into the book uh, but I think now going back I would have done more documenting the school experience as the first book because that was just such an amazing experience and I met all of these incredible people who I'm I'm still very close with and I grew a lot as a person and I really learned a lot about myself and it was I mean it's Italy which is just you know amazing and beautiful and chaotic like Italy is just weird chaos and so there was so many really funny stories that I wish I could have kept and I think people would have really enjoyed. And then I think the second part would have been, you know, staying and like everything with my husband and, you know, the complexities of like navigating family life in Italy, which, you know, Italians are notorious for their like very closed families and like their, you know, commitment to family and um, also the drama of the family, uh, which is, you know, a lot, a lot of the book. Um, you know, my mother-in-law like crying and begging God and, you know, <laughs> slamming cupboards and like very like funny stereotypical things that were true um, that actually happened. I was like, when did I become like, when did I like end up in a movie? Like, a <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it, it kind of grew organically from the blog and, and just like realizing that it was being received well and that people connected with it, uh, even people who hadn't studied abroad connected with, you know, the mental health aspects or mm -hmm. um, even just moving out of their state, you know, just having to rebuild your community and, you know, learning a lot about yourself and the freedom that comes with it. it it's confusing because when you first, I think, move abroad, there's this incredible freedom where you get to sort of become not like a fake version of yourself, but kind of try out like the version of yourself that you wish that you were. And you shed a lot of things maybe that were holding you back. Um, and also a lot of things, you know, you're also away from all the things that supported you. So you gain all of this incredible independence and you get to do all of these incredible things that maybe you wouldn't have done, you know, where you're, you're originally from. And then also, you know, because you're away from your support system and you have to create this new community and everything's very new and fresh, like it's also very isolating. So I think a lot of people could relate to that, even if they had just moved, you know, from a different state. So, yeah, I don't know, I guess, I guess that. And then as far as how my book was received, everybody knew I was writing a book. I, I made sure that I talked with them about it. I assured them that anything that would get them in trouble with current spouses would be left out. <laughs> um, <laughs> that <laughs> I would show them in the best light which really wasn't hard because, you know, everyone I went to school with was, you know, they were pretty amazing. And like I said, we're still very good friends. I gave them all, uh, you know, copy to read before the book, you know, was finalized. Um, honestly, the only person who was a little bit like, eh, was um, his name in the book is Grayson. Mm -hmm. um, but I adore him and we're still good friends. Uh, it's, he, I got a call from him and he was like, why do I seem like a, just like this sex obsessed, crazy person? <laughs> and then, but then he was like, but then after like thinking about it, I guess that's kind of accurate. And so we <laughs> laughed and he was like, it's fine. I, I'm fine with it. Um, so yeah, everyone was fine with it. Um, you know, Ule, who you've met and you know, who was in the book with a different name. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I got lucky. Luckily, everyone was fine with it. My parents haven't read it, so they don't want to. They know that they're in it, and neither of them are interested in reading it. They're like, God, no. Um, <laughs> so I can picture that. I can picture that with parents. There's probably a little bit of fear and kind of brings me to one of the other questions I wanted to ask you about, because I don't want to give away any major storylines, but close to the beginning, one of the things you talk about in it is your sometimes fragmented relationship with your dad, who emigrated to the United States from Iran in the 1970s, I believe. 79. 79. Okay, good. I got it right. Um, <laughs> what, what does your relationship with him and with your mixed ethnic heritage look like 
now, just kind of diving into that a little bit. Well, I mean, again, going back to the hard thing with writing, you know, a memoir is that so much gets left out, right? Mm -hmm. So Naked focuses on just like a very short time of my life when I was in my 20s and really trying to figure myself out. And like we all are in our 20s. And, um, and so there was a lot of conflict with my dad at that time, because my dad's like love language is like incessant lecturing. And, um, you know, that's also a Persian thing. But he just, um, he had a really hard time just like letting go I think, and trusting me to work stuff out myself. And I think part of it, and a lot of parents, I feel like, you know, do this is filtering things through his own experience and through what he assumed was my mother's experience, you know, because they they had me out of wedlock, they'd only slept together one time at a party, and then like, I burst into the world. So he's like filtering all these things. And we were just clashing constantly, because I felt like I knew exactly sort of twisty turvy like what I wanted to do and for my dad that just seemed crazy like also Persian families like my dad's like you be an engineer you be a doctor like those are the things like there's two options for you in life and those are you know um and when I was like oh you know art and writing he was like oh my god like why would you do this to me you know because everything's about him and um yeah, it was just a lot of clashing. But like, no, my dad and I are actually very close. And our relationship when I was younger was very complicated. My mother and him, they had a hard time getting on the same page with stuff. There was a lot of sort of, they were very young. You know, my mom was a teenager, my dad was a teenager, and he'd been in the country for like five minutes before he started making babies with the locals. So you know, it was just a very complicated situation for them being young. Unfortunately, I was in the middle of that. And and what's also not in the book is that I actually saw my dad quite a bit when I was really young. I just don't remember it. You mm-hmm. know, like he came to the hospital when I was born. And like, I went to, you know, him when I was very young, he would come and see me when I was very young. I, for some reason, I blocked those things out. My most consistent memories are from age nine up. And since then, he's been, you know, doing you know he's done his best some years better than others like yeah figuring out how to like I guess kind of work through his own trauma around the situation like a lot of shame and guilt I think that he felt for like maybe not doing things the way that he wished that he had Mm -hmm. Uh, but no we're actually very close and we talk about this stuff a lot and he's very supportive of me writing now because again Persian father he's like okay not engineer okay not doctor but book book is successful so we like you know so like you're not a total failure and you are this is a career and you're making money and so uh, your husband's an engineer so that works you know so (laughs) yes so um so yeah no um and then the mix growing up like in the you know in a mixed family is always interesting you know I was talking about this at my friend's house last night is that like, you know, my father's, you know, very proud Persian and like, just always talks about like, you know, Iran and the history. And I do a lot of my own research on Iran. One of the books that I'm working on now, one of the main characters is like a Persian general, because like, I'm going to nerd out for a second. But like, what people don't know about, you know, Iran's history, is it like the Persian Empire, they weren't Muslim, they were mainly Zoroastrian, and they were society wise, like pretty equal, like women could own property, women could be generals in the armies, the immortals, like the famous immortals that you see depicted horribly in like movies, like where, you know, the Greece, you know, Greek folks are the heroes, um, was actually led by a female general. And so one of the books I'm working on now, like has a like female Persian general in it, one of my weird random fiction books. But, you know, it's it's a big part of like that side of my family. You know, my, when we were younger, my dad would like blast Persian music and then like clap incessantly and demand me and like my sister and brother dance like monkeys. You know, he's like, dance, dance, dance. <laughs> and, you know, the food is different. And then you go back to my mom's house. My mom is like very American and like, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, like Welsh ancestry and just you know very 
So it's kind of whiplash. And, and, you know, also my mom, you know, grew up in poverty, like very, very poor. My father came from a wealthy family. So it's just, I mean, it's always just been complicated and like a lot of adjusting myself, like growing up, going back and forth between each house, which I don't know if it just makes me like extra weird or well-rounded. I don't know, but um <laughs> The best of both, maybe? <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Oh, I love that. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, and I feel like that's that's just humanity, right? Like relationships kind of wane and, you know, you have mm-hmm. on days and off days. And I don't think there's anybody who has a perfect relationship with their parents, regardless no. of their, you know, their ethnic um, background and For sure. how all that is. What I find interesting, so you're your parents have this international relationship and you have an international relationship now, an international marriage. And I'm curious. So that's detailed in, in the book, kind of, you know, how, how you met. So I don't want to give that away to people. And I know initially after you got married, you were splitting your time between Italy and the United States to accommodate your husband's job. So how has that evolved and what does that marriage look like now after a year of literal pandemonium with the, you know, the pandemic and, a toddler in the mix, like I'm sure life has been completely off the rails for everybody. Oh, yeah. what's, it, what's it look like for you? Um, well, I love that you pointed that out. So my sister likes to joke around and she's like, Jesus Christ, could this be any more Freudian? Like, did you speak out like a hairy man with an accent <laughs> because of dad? Um, so yeah, no, our sister thinks that's hilarious. Um, in fact, yeah, no, I, um, I don't know. I, I never even was interested in Italian men when I moved to Italy. Like I always kind of thought I would marry a British guy because like those were always like my TV crushes, right? Like these like, like kind of nerdy British dudes. And uh, no, just met my husband in a bar and fell in love. But um, I mean, I feel like talking about marriage post pandemic is hard. I feel like mo- like a lot of my friends are just like, I don't know, I may stab them to death in their seat. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I love him, but I don't really like him right now. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure I will again, but it's going to take some time and like a lot of therapy. So that's just too much time to be locked at home together. And you know, again, like we also just exist very differently. My husband's like very dramatic and loud and screamy and reactive because he's Italian and also his family is crazy. And then, you know, I'm like very chill most of the time. And I'm just like my even my two year old is like, Mom, what's wrong with daddy? And I'm like, well, daddy's very dramatic. I don't know. Like, he's like, he'll step on a toy and he'll be like hollering to himself for 10 minutes. I'm like, he's fine. He's just over the drama. But like, we're actually going back to Italy uh, in the the next couple of weeks to go on vacation. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think it's forever complicated. Like, I feel like cross-cultural relationships are always a challenge. I mean, regular, like just typical, you're both from the same city and state relationships are a challenge. Like, you know, they forever take work and growth. And but then the cross-cultural element definitely adds some flavor. (laughs) <laughs> so some color I don't know so you're you know kind of forever trying to navigate those divides and um it's fun I mean it's it's fine I'm sure like give me a year of like my therapist and like we'll be back on board um <laughs> it is what it is I mean, it's just that's the situation <laughs> it's in now well that's just the situation yeah um and I know you're not alone in that I've just friends even like (laughs) clients that I've worked with they're kind of like yeah if we survive this I think we can survive anything you know being within these four walls (laughs) absolutely I mean that is just nobody is meant to be trapped you know like together in a house for that long um you know most people I, I feel like you know, they're very different from their partner. They're like things done a different way. I was just listening to this podcast, you know, the hashtag M writing podcast, and they interviewed David Sedaris quite a while ago. And I think it was on this podcast. He was talking about it, but like his husband has a separate apartment upstairs that they got during the pandemic. 
Like, I feel that so much. Like I felt uh-huh. so seen. Like I was like, yes, that is how you save a marriage during a pandemic is like you move them next door because like <laughs> otherwise it's just too much, like just too much time <laughs> together. But yeah, I feel like that's just the way of the world. Now, maybe if the pandemic, you know, comes back, you will just see a lot of people like moving their spouse into like the house across the street or <laughs> go and stay with somebody else for a while. That's right. Just your house trading. Yeah. Like I'll take yours. You take mine, keep them there for a few weeks, see how it goes. I don't know. Interesting times. Yeah, definitely interesting times. And then, so speaking of mental health and self-care <laughs> and, partic- <laughs> and in light of this, the which is still ongoing. Like I know in here in the U S we're, you know, we're yeah. kind of emerging out as vaccination rates go up, but I know it's not done. It's just different. It's kind of a different, different July than last July, but yeah. last year you did launch a podcast called you're going to be great, which is focused on self-care and mental health. So tell us about that, the podcast, your guests. I know I listened to the the first one with your therapist and sort of what's your perspective on mental health and self-care right now? I know we've, we've brought it up previously in the conversation. That's part of what you're working on in your next book. But what did the podcast focus on and are you going to keep going ahead with that? Um, So the podcast was specific to the beginning of the pandemic when everybody was, you know, on lockdown for weeks at a time and like really scared. There was a lot of anxiety. I definitely saw my anxiety, you know, spike. Mm-hmm. And I started getting worried because, you know, five years, five, six years ago, uh, time is a blur now with a toddler, but um, I had a nervous breakdown not long after coming back from Italy. And, um, you know, I worked through like some really chronic depression and, you know, a lot, a lot of trauma that like I had just not been dealing with, which, you know, I talk about a little bit in Naked, but Mm -hmm. um, it really, really, you know, came to a head when I came home, just coming home triggered a lot of stuff that I've been dealing with a lot of, you know, grief, a lot of grief, trauma around my brother's death. And so I got nervous when the pandemic started, like, I was like, Oh, geez, like, the last thing that I need to do is be on lockdown at home, just talking to my friends, you know, on the phone every day, and everyone was so nervous. And I thought, like, well, I would like to know how to get through this, like, according to the experts, and um, maybe, like, I can also share that information to help others. Mm -hmm. Because if you know, a nervous breakdown taught me anything, it's that like, community is so important for healing. And that you really can't, if you, you really can't heal fully if you don't have support. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't, if you don't share also, right? Because, you know, we grow up, especially, I think, with, you know, a Persian father, immigrant father, you know, immigrants, they go through so much. They're like, the last thing I really give a rat's ass about is like talking about people's feelings right now. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I came here with $7 in my pocket. And I did, you know, it's like that very, like, they're tough, and they worked hard and, and not, you know, and, and it's not typical for them to sit around and, you know, like, talk about feelings and like work through trauma, like, it's just they have bigger things that they're, that they're dealing with, I guess. At least that was my family growing up. And I know a lot of my friends, you know, from immigrant families have the same experiences. And so I just wanted to help everybody else who might need help. Um, And so I uh, got the idea to do the podcast Um, and it was very pandemic specific. You know, I talked to my therapist and, you know, a few, I know like surprisingly, I know a lot of therapists. I don't know why (laughs) I just do. And um, my friend Maggie was on the show. You know, she's a children's therapist. She's actually, you know, texting me now to see if I want to go have lunch. So, you know, I just wanted to help people get through it. And I worried about some of my friends who, had, you know, had struggled with addiction earlier in their lives and my friends who had dealt with chronic depression or anxiety and myself. And uh, so I just kind of tried to, you know, focus on guests who might be able to shed some light on, you know, how people can protect themselves and work through all the scary stuff going on, how people can, you know, talk to their kids and shield their kids from a lot of the anxiety and stuff. And I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I have to say, podcasts are an enormous amount of work, which you know. They are so much work. 
because there's like the setting up the interviews and like all the promotion and the, you know, editing, like it's really exhausting. And so I did like the six, seven episodes. And then I was just like, geez, like this is a lot. And there's a <laughs> pandemic. Now I don't have childcare. Like I'm a full-time, full-time, full-time parent. Plus I work. So it was just, I was just happy with letting it sit and be just like pandemic specific. Now I'm actually thinking about starting again, but more from an angle of self-care and healing as a form of world change, like as a form Mm -hmm. of revolution, a, a form of breaking those cycles and changing, you know, breaking those like family trauma cycles and, and just kind of helping people to move through those things so that, you know, maybe the next generation, the generation after that, like we can really build like a healthy community. I mean, it all starts right locally first. So, you know, really work on like ourselves and then our families and our community and then, you know, the world. Um, and a lot of that, you know, like talking to Kule about it is just being like, she's doing her thing with her love activism. And, you know, we talk a lot and, you know, we've talked a lot about the idea of self-healing, self-care mm-hmm. as a form of activism. And I absolutely think that it is. And so I would kind of like to start it again from that angle and, you know, have a lot of guests on who talk about healing yourself and working through your own things and also, you know, how to help your kids and like prevent those things, you know, those cycles from happening. Cause even, even the best, most intentional parents in the world, like you're still constantly fighting like your own demons. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you're a mother, you're constantly like, well, I didn't like that. My parents did this. I'm going to try to do this. And like, you're always, was that the right thing? I don't know. Like (laughs) tomorrow I'm going to try this. So like, just kind of like, a roadmap for how we can, you know, maybe not, in my case, like maybe not put my own trauma and stuff on my son Mm -hmm. so that he can grow up with like healthy coping mechanisms and stuff. So I want to, you know, and then how we can help people in the community and how, you know, we can use self-care as a way to heal the community and help people I mean, self-care can even help fight poverty. I mean, it's just like a lot of these things are, you know, caused from, we grow up in these, I'll use my family as as an example. My mom's side of the family is very impoverished growing up. There was a lot of abuse. There's a lot of physical abuse, a lot of emotional abuse. And there's also just this culture of just being tough and pushing through, right? Like fight fire with fire. Like if you're used to these Mm -hmm. very like abusive relationships, the way to handle that is just to be more street smart and to be tougher and meaner. And like, there's also a sort of pride in being able to take a lot, right? Like my mom was like, you know, well, you know, he can do this, that and that, but I can handle myself, which she could. And my mom is a little spitfire but she shouldn't have to be right. Right. Like she, Mm -hmm. I I wish for her that she had had, there had been a cultural shift that allowed her to get the help that she needed so that she didn't have to like go through so much, you know, so that she could have had like, now she has a wonderful husband loving and supportive, but that's after, you know, decades of being abused by her partners. And Mm -hmm. I wish that she could have just skipped all of that and, you know, not had to be, 50 before she like realized that she was worthy of being cared about in like a, and a this got really deep, um, (laughs) you know, in like a, um, in a, you know, just loved and appreciated. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, a a lot of that starts in the community and changing that culture of, and it comes from a, like, I mean, it's valid, right? Like women, and, you know, people who are marginalized, they have a right to be afraid of the establishment, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, mental health care has not historically been great for us. You know, I mean, women who cried a lot used to be institutionalized. Like, right. I mean, I get where it comes from. You know, poor people, like people of color. It's just not the best history, right, with, like, psychologists and stuff. So I get it. But I wish that we could just change the you know the narrative about getting help and and get people help and make it more 
accessible and mm-hmm. um, you know, change that culture of fear into like you deserve you know happiness and you deserve you know to be healthy and uh, it's very yeah. complicated you could talk about this for hours right but um, <laughs> well and you're the there's I have a lot of friends who are therapists too ironically <laughs> and two of them have been on two I think at least two have been on the show and I feel like self-care mental health comes up with every guest and that is intentional you know, from my part, like it's my yoga audio, which was launched for this was like my gift during the pandemic. Like, here's something you can listen to at home and do I your meditations that. and do your physical movements. But also, here's these really wise people who have and you know, you're included in that because it's, you're being really honest in your what prompted the discussion was your book, because you do address it so head on. And in your writing, you talk about it so head on. And if there's one thing I'm really grateful for in my, in my family, not my biological mother died when I was a baby, but I was raised by my grandmother and that was her lineage too. She was really abused by her um, first husband. And I felt so connected with what you said about your mom. I'm like, why did she even have to go through that? Like had no, she had to leave the country to get away from him. And it was sort of a, there's been that cycle. I feel like even as awful as our mom's histories have been we're at a stage now where we can talk about it where's that stuff they didn't talk about back then right you just dealt with it or mm-hmm. you know you just tried to survive so I'm really encouraged by the conversation and in just in talking about therapy openly which people didn't used to do and one of the things I love about your writing as a mom is that you're so blatantly honest about how hard and yet how humorous parenting can be. And I wish I'd known <laughs> someone like you when uh, my daughters were young. I do. I read your posts sometimes in your book and I laugh till I cry. And <laughs> I, I, I do. I love it. And do you think, uh, this is what I started thinking about, that a dark humor approach is also a healthy coping mechanism because it helps with the anxiety of all things like, You'd rather laugh than cry or laugh until you cry. And so sometimes when I'm in the middle of something chaotic or that's really awful and I feel like I can't take another minute of it, I'm going to explode. But then days, weeks or months later, I can talk about it and I will literally be hysterically laughing because I can see the humor in it then, but I can't, you know, in the moment of it. I wondered your thoughts on that. Um, So interesting enough, I was just talking to one of my friends about this. I've been reading this book, The Whole Brain Child. Have you read that? I have not, but I have heard of it. I have heard good things. It's a really brilliant book about, you know, it's parenting, but also about helping yourself to kind of integrate the different parts of your brain. And um, it talks about how you can help I don't know if prevent is the right word, but I'm going to use it for lack of a better one to help prevent kind of deep trauma in your children just by having them tell stories. Mm. So if something really awful happens to them, you know, they get hurt or like something scary happens. The example they use in the book is like a child was involved in a car accident, a very young child and kind of the way that to help the child process so that the trauma didn't get like stuck in the brain in the parts where we we don't we can't like rationally think about stuff was to have the child tell the story over and over again about Mm -hmm. what happened and as you know kind of I think our natural thing most of the time is to kind of be like well that was scary let's distract and you know not talk about it again to not trigger it but that actually does the opposite that actually kind of makes the trauma stick right Whereas talking through it is a way of how our brains kind of rationalize what happened and it kind of avoids this like deep set fear, right? From like hey, taking hold and just living there. And I was telling my friend like, oh my God, like, is this why writing is so healing for me? Because I started writing, you know, very early on. Um, I've been writing since, you know, college my freshman year, I started writing these little short stories and like writing in my journal. And I kind of have to do it to stay, you know, mentally healthy. It kind of helps me process things. And, and I was like, geez, that like reading this book, like it totally makes sense, right? Like, I've found a way to kind of help me process really difficult things. And there's actually science behind it. Like it's actually, you know, preventing my brain from kind of holding on to these things. So Mm. yes, I definitely think that it's a coping mechanism, just writing in general for me Mm -hmm. and nonfiction writing. And also like 
yeah, I think it helps, you know, because a lot of your mental state is how you frame things, right? And so like being a parent, like, you know this, like you have a couple of kids, right? You have three, four, three? Two. Two, two. okay, two. But two, also two dogs, so it feels like four oh, kids. Oh, okay, <laughs> yes, that is basically four kids. Um, so it's like, you can get really caught up in the day-to-day of how every day feels like Groundhog Day and it's so hard and like you love your kids so much, but they won't stop punching you in the face for no reason because they're two and they're evil. And like, you know, you cleaned your kitchen 92 times and like, why did they just feel the need to dump their entire orange juice cup in the middle of the floor? And like, you can focus on those things or, you know, you can reframe it and you can just focus on the stuff that's really funny. Like, I can focus on my toddler refusing to drink water, or I could focus on because he said I poisoned it, which is like, I don't even know where he learned the word poison and also hilarious because he comes up with the weirdest stuff to like get out of things. Uh And, um, and also I think that parents can relate to that. And, and I think that being honest is just, I think being dishonest is such a disservice to people, right? Because like, Mm -hmm. there's so much shit on Instagram. That's just (laughs) like these perfectly clean houses and moms with their kids and matching PJs. And, you know, I know that the Instagram is their business and these are curated and they have photographers and nannies and they have all of these things to help them curate their life so that they can, you know, probably make enough money to send their kids to good colleges. I get that. I respect that. It's a business. I love the Instagram gives so many people the opportunity to like basically have their own businesses now. The downside of that is that it's absolute shit. Like mm-hmm. they, what they don't talk about is all the help that they have and how everything is curated all the time. And I feel like a lot of moms look at that and they just feel like they're not living up to snuff, right? Yeah. Um, and even like no matter how logical or rational you are, like you can still look at that and be like, wow, I have not washed my hair in four days. Like how does this <laughs> woman look so beautiful? And and so I just think being honest just gives people connection, you know, like instead of seeking, you know, to improve themselves endlessly, which parents are anyway, right? Every day mm-hmm. you're like, God, I could have done better. Like it's an endless cycle of God, I could have done better. Once in a while you have a day where you're like, I'm awesome, but it's usually God, <laughs> I could be better. So I just, I just feel like parents just need a freaking break. Like they just need a break. They just need to like see that other people are struggling and that their kids are just as complicated and weird as yours. And, um, and I do it for myself. Like I write things and I'm like, God, I hope somebody comments like, yeah, my kid also does that weird shit because I'm like, am I the only one who's toddler? <laughs> it's like, you know, just seems kind of sociopathic. Um, and so it's nice you know, it's not like you meet other moms who are like, you know, totally validate your lived experience and mm-hmm. who can, you know, you can bond with them and, you know, and they make you feel normal and seen. Um, and I just, I don't know, I guess that, I guess blogging has always been about connection for me and just, you know, feeling like there are other people out there in the world who are, who are going through the same stuff. And, um, and also, you know, just, it's nice to have a laugh with other people. Yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> most of your posts, I have to say, do that. I mean, they run the gamut, and sometimes it's like something bad that's happened. But you, with the the man making the um, unwelcome comment about your parenting in the coffee shop, and I was just uh, like, man. And it's and we've all been there, whether it was a disapproving look or or uh-huh. somebody actually saying something, and you're just like, really? Like, I don't. We don't need this extra pressure right now. Nobody asked you, like. What no. is happening? And we can, everybody can. And although I'm sorry that that happened, I also know that's a connection point for people who are just like, oh, we all know that feeling, that sinking feeling in your your heart or, you know, twisting in your stomach because you're just like, I already have enough self-doubt already. Like I'm doing the best I can here. I don't need you mm-hmm. adding to that. Yeah. Yeah. The guy, I, so I made a joke about it being a guy in a coffee shop. It was actually a man in a store and okay. my son is very, very sensitive he, I mean, I, my therapist recommended that book, The Highly Sensitive Child, um, for me to read for myself, but also for him. There's a test you can take. I took it. We we're both, I'm like off the charts. Like I'm basically just walking muscle. Like I'm just like no skin. I'm just like raw. And apparently like <laughs> just 
pure sensitive emotion, whatever. Mm. Uh, and my my husband is also highly sensitive, so is my son. And he just is, like his nervous system just reacts strongly to things. And so he, he was walking around a corner and these two folks who were really sweet kind of bumped into him and he got really scared and, and he's the most outgoing, friendly child ever. But it freaked him out because it was just sudden. So mm -hmm. he had his like head buried in my neck and he was really upset and he wouldn't like take his head out to like look around. He just um, like overstimulated. And so I'm carrying him around. He's got his like face in my neck and I'm shopping and this like elderly man had given me a few, he'd walked by a few times and given me a look and I was like, whatever, dude. And then finally he walks up to me just totally out of nowhere. And this isn't even the first time it happened. It's happened many times. And it seems to happen the most with boy with because my son is a boy for now. Um, mm -hmm. And he goes, watch out. You're going to spoil him. Ha <laughs> ha too late. And I was like, Oh, get fucked. Like I didn't say it, but I was just like, okay. Mm -hmm. And I just like turned and walked off. But it happens all the time. And I'm just like, thank you for that. Like, I really needed <laughs> your bullshit today. Not like, also, guy, you don't seem all together. So, like, maybe work on not seeming so creepy and weird and and yeah. rude before you tell other people how to exist in the world, you jackass. Um, yeah. Like, how much harder would it have been to be like, I know you're doing the best you can. You've got to fine young man there or something like that, oh right? Oh my like, gosh. How, like, why can it not just be turned that, and to other women too, because other other women oh, yeah. um, do do that sometimes as well. Yeah, and absolutely. It's just, how much better would everybody have felt if he had just smiled or been encouraging as opposed to that? Right, it's just like, I don't know, but it, I think it's funny, like in retrospect, I think it's pretty funny, like, because it happens so much and there are just people walking around in the world who just can't wait to tell you a thing right like yes. they're just it makes their whole day like he went home and he was very proud of himself that he like you know mom shamed me for like coddling whatever mm -hmm. he's telling his friends about it at bingo night like whatever so you know in retrospect it's really funny but yeah it's annoying too <laughs> i wanted to touch on a little bit a movie club so i know that's kind mm -hmm. of on, on hold at the moment but it was something that you had launched last year and then because I noticed on your page you said you're working on a screenplay so I don't know if you want to tell us anything about that and then it's kind of like a double double whammy of a question so that in movie club horror is not included as a genre no because as you yeah because <laughs> you said my brain is a scary scary place and the last thing I need is more terrifying up in here I love that um <laughs> the same week that I read this I was reading about this last week on your website and I also saw the artist Damien Hurst, who's known for some pretty provocative and sometimes horrifying mm -hmm. work, released a series of new paintings of flowers. And when he was asked about it, he said his mother would always say to him, there's enough horror in the world. Why can't you just paint flowers? Like, I personally appreciate suspense, sci-fi and scary films that make you think, like not gore, not stabby stuff. But I agree that our <laughs> brains and our world are frightening enough as it is. So I'm curious in the context of all that, in terms of movie club and what you're working on, your thoughts, I guess, on American culture and what I feel like is the proliferation of horror, but not just in movies and books, but also in news headlines. And then your tips to calming the mind when you're overstimulated or experience trauma recall, other upsetting experiences. And I know that was like a lot in, in one question, <laughs> but it was sort of, that's where my brain kind of went. I was like, oh, I know you're tackling all these things. So however feels best to talk a little <laughs> bit about that. Sure. So yes, movie club. I started that. It's paused right now because I've just got a lot going on with writing and parenting and um, you know mm -hmm. life. I'm hoping it will open again this fall because it's a lot of fun. And I would like to start again before Halloween, oddly enough, because like, while I don't like horror, I do like fantasy. So I do like, hmm. I guess vampire stuff is kind of fantasy horror. Maybe sometimes, sometimes not. I like witches. I like all of that stuff. So I think it's two parts. One, growing up, I grew up in the 80s where like parenting was like about not parenting really. Like a lot of, like, there's just like a lot of like trapping your kids in your car to, you know, hot box it with Marlboro 100s. 
And, um, you know, seven-year-olds were watching Freddy Krueger movies. My mom is a huge horror buff. And so growing up, she would just let me watch whatever she was watching, which was absolutely horrifying. And come to find out, like, as an adult, like, I have OCD, which a lot of people don't know what it really is. Like, you know, there's a lot of movies and stuff that are so misleading about mental health, you know, like OCD Mm -hmm. is like, oh, I got to wash my hands all the time. And like, sure, that is part of it for some folks like that, you know, that's the compulsive part of it. But OCD is really about these really dark, unwanted thoughts that you can't get rid of that are pretty horrifying. And usually the compulsion comes as a way to calm your mind, you know, like, if Mm -hmm. I do this, then so you know, like a lot of like, you know, obsessing about demons, for no reason. And then the way to like, quelch that is to like, pray a lot, right. So Mm -hmm. we see the compulsive part, you know, depicted a lot in films, not so much the, you know, the dark brain stuff. So I can't read anything in the news. I can't watch anything, any scary images, like they just stay with me for months and months, sometimes years and years. And they'll just replay over and over again, Mm -hmm. and get trapped there. Then I find myself having a hard time sitting with myself and doing a lot of things to escape, watching back to back, you know, like stand up comedy, or like romantic rom coms was how I coped with it for a long time. And, you know, now it's more like mindfulness. I'm a huge fan of Headspace app. Like I Mm. use Headspace a ton. A lot of mindfulness meditation, even just walking around. You know, I I know a lot of parents, they're like, well, I don't have time to like meditate because like I'm chasing my kids around the house, which I completely get. But just Mm -hmm. like even walking mindfulness, you know, just paying attention to like my feet on the ground. Or, you know, just trying to take some deep breaths. I try to teach my son to take deep breaths. So sometimes, you know, I'll say like, it's actually pretty funny, like teaching emotional intelligence to kids because of how quickly they pick it up. Mm -hmm. So like, I'll say like, I'm feeling really frustrated. Like I need to sit down and take some deep breaths or I'm feeling really anxious. I need to sit down and take some deep breaths and like, he'll take deep breaths with me. He also is getting really good at naming his feelings. So he'll, he'll ball up his fist and go, ah, Sebastian run now. Uh, even though he's two, and then he'll like breathe to himself. My husband was being like a you know dramatic yesterday and yelly. And my son started singing to him. He said, he, "There's a Daniel Tiger song that if you get so mad and you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. Because you know th- that's Daniel Tiger's way of teaching parents yeah. out there. Daniel Tiger has some great ways of teaching mindfulness to toddlers. Not that I'm like huge on screen time. Like my, my son's is limited, but no judgment if your kids watch a lot of screen time too, like you do you. Mm -hmm. But it has some really great mindfulness tips for toddlers. And it works like my son sings that song anytime anyone seems like they're gonna like lose their shit. So and he sings it for himself too, you know, like if he's getting frustrated, he'll sing it to himself. But yeah, Mm -hmm. so like a lot of, you know, deep breaths, a lot of, you know, just mindfulness, even if it's while I'm walking around the house, trying to stop those incessant loops that happen with yeah I mean also OCD is like under anxiety right it's a, it's it is an anxiety condition um mm-hmm. condition I don't know like I, I I don't even know if I like to call it a condition more of a habit right like those mm-hmm. you know neurons fire out of habit you know my therapist she doesn't even like diagnosing people because she says like you know on any given day anyone can have anything and it's really just about like you know teaching and unteaching your brain you know mm-hmm. your brain I love how she talks about stuff. Like I, I'm obsessed with my therapist because like, <laughs> she's just very like, like you need the tools, but everything can be a temporary state for the most part, not everything, but a lot of things, I guess. Right. And like, you just, it's a lot of rewiring, which can happen. Like that book that I'm reading, The Whole Brain Child, it talks about how your brain is changing consistently until you die. So this idea that like you grew up doing, you know, thinking this way and behaving this way and that's who you are is kind of crap. You know, sure, like your biology plays a big part. Like as a parent, you know, your kids kind of weirdly come out with a personality and you're like, what? Like, you know, that one year old, they, you can already see who they are. But there are, you know, environment also plays a big role and that can change. And even 90 years old, your brain can still be creating, you know, new pathways and firing differently and 
And I think that's really hopeful and awesome. Like at any age, you can work on yourself, you know? And Mm -hmm. so a lot of that, like me spending a lot of time uh, working through the anxiety and the depression and kind of like trying to retrain my brain, you know, with mindfulness and um, Mm -hmm. stop those pathways, you know, from getting really deep. And that is why I don't watch horror because I do not need to reintroduce more darkness into my brain. I mean, I can watch the news and be like legitimately traumatized for like, so I just, I really can't. And, And then it makes me like, you know, worst case scenario and, and, and also, I just think like our constant fear loop is so unhealthy. Mm-hmm. You know, I miss the days of growing up. I sound so old right now, but I miss the days of growing <laughs> up where like you had to physically get a newspaper and like sit down and read it to like learn yeah. about what's going on. And, and then that was like your dose for the day. I hate that part of me likes that people can be more informed now than ever. But I also hate that we are exposed to so much constant outside stressors, mm-hmm. especially because they're, you know, they're just like, we're endlessly without as many tools as we need to combat so much negativity. Like no matter how, you know, I swear pretty soon, like to be like mentally healthy, we're going to have to spend 12 hours a day doing yoga and mindfulness <laughs> and just to combat like the, you know, nonstop like newsfeed. Yeah. There's a stat somewhere I read in the last couple of years that said our brains in comparison to our grandparents, it wasn't our parents, but our grandparents get something like 800 times. It was a ridiculous number, more information now a day. That, like you said, you know, they used to get like a newspaper, they go through that. And it's just because of the digital age, as much as it gives us a lot of efficiency and like availability, you know, for knowledge and research, like that part's all good. But we are literally bombarded almost 24 hours a day. Um, Yeah. And it, no, exactly what you're saying. It changes your, your body physically, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. it changes your brain. It changes the way your brain operates. It changes like your, your body you know, so much of, you know, the things that we see and hear, like sits in the body, which, you know, you know, like, as you know, yoga is like great for that, like, mm-hmm. you know, working some of the trauma out of like your muscles and stuff. But mm-hmm. I didn't know until I read The Body Keeps the Score, which is another fantastic book about trauma, like how much of the things that happen in our brain sits and stays in our bodies. And if we're exposed to so much, like, I mean, just negativity, like horror films, like people are so into horror films and like no judgment, but it cannot be good for you. Right. So like mm-hmm. that much, <laughs> like that much, mm-hmm. you know, um, adrenaline pumping through you all the time. And then the news cycle and just like the pandemic and there's just so much fear and negativity and, and it has to be changing our bodies and our brains. And I don't think in ways that are helpful for us. Mm-hmm. So thank God also that like, wellness and self-care are becoming more and more talked about and important because holy shit, we need it to get through (laughs) what is our current culture (laughs) and life. One of the um, limbs of yoga is called ahimsa or nonviolence. And there's a a man that I met last year on another podcast, a kind of a long story. It doesn't really matter, but the, the host asked him, you know, what he does to stay sane amidst you know, everything going on. And he said, I've started taking the concept of ahimsa or nonviolence to every level of my life. And he's like, you know, a lot of people say it's like, you need to be a vegetarian or a vegan. He's like, it's also to me, not watching violent things. It's also to me, discouraging violent thoughts, you know, even like being negative to myself. Like if I'm being hard on myself, I need to like, stop that. And like, be nice to myself. And it's just like, how can we choose? And another guest who was on this podcast last year in the fall, Michelle Marlihan said, if I have to make a choice, if I have to make a difficult choice, which one is the least harmful? Like if I don't like either of the choices, but I have to make a choice, which one is the least harmful? Because she's just like, for your mind, for your brain, these are the little ways we can every day sort of bring that stress on a nervous system down a little bit more by just consciously making more of these choices that are are kinder to ourselves, are kinder to the environment, are kinder to the people around us. And I, I loved that. I know we haven't really gone into yoga with this, but I feel like we've addressed it in terms of like how much focus um, you have on mental health and wellness, sharing that with people in your podcast, sharing that with people in your writing, 
sharing that with people and the way you're parenting, who's going to be a really an amazing person when he grows up, your toddler. (laughs) Yeah. And you've mentioned several books, The Body Keeps Score is a really good one. Mm -hmm. Because that was my kind of almost final question for you was favorite books and movies. So there's The Body Keeps Score the conscious child, the whole brain child, the whole brain child, the whole brain child. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. the body keeps the score. The highly sensitive child, or the highly mm-hmm. sensitive person, for like yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are definitely some of my favorite. Oh, and I just read an amazing book on boundaries. Um, oh, that is another big one I would recommend. I um, I'll get you her name. I'm can never remember titles and names. I'm really bad with it. Um, set boundaries, find peace. Okay. Yeah, that was an amazing book. Set boundaries, find peace. Okay. Yes, and she has a great chapter on self boundaries, and she actually mm-hmm. talks about like limiting how much stuff you expose yourself to, and she gives some great tips on how to do that. You know, with the settings on your phone that like mm-hmm. basically locks you out of social media if you've gone over like whatever limit you set. Mm-hmm. Setting limits with what you watch and what you expose yourself to. So to go back into oh, all of that, that's a good one. And um, yeah, I think that those are probably my fave right now. The top fave self care books my never ending list of things to read. <laughs> yes, I have stacks everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I've just started decorating with books because I have so many books to I think that's a writer though, right? Like you have to just you're like, what do I do with these 92 books? They would look really nice on my nightstand. I'll put a plant on top of it. Like it's intentional when it's, you know, just not. You're just obsessed with books. I've made a tower on each side of the fireplace. Now. <laughs> right. And you're like, this is on purpose. I'm decorating. Yep. Yep. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a visual installation. It's yeah. also a library. <laughs> yeah. That's like, you're just writers are just like hoarders of books and then they don't know what to do with them. So we just pretend like we're intentionally decorating the space. Yes. Like, that's exactly what I Absolutely crap. We're not. I wanted to ask as a final question towards closeout, what have you got, if anything, coming up that listeners can connect with you on um, your plans? Maybe let us know your website again, your social channels, the best way people can connect with you and your work and then kind of any initiatives you've got launching in the next little bit. Sure. So, I mean, there's the blog which you mentioned a few times and in like, you know, there I usually write funny stories about family, parenting, just like, you know, living life as like an almost 40 year old. <laughs> There's the book, Make It in Italy, which you can get anywhere. And the next book that's coming out is about mental health. I'm still writing that. So it'll be a little while. I am working on a screenplay and two other books. So those, I hope that they're done soon. I pray that they're done soon because I hate mm-hmm. Well, it's not true. I'm like always stressed when I'm working on stuff and then more stressed when I'm not working on stuff. So I'm just constantly like I should be writing because, you know, like I said, it's like a coping mechanism. It's how I get through life. So and then Instagram, you know, I try to post as much as I can. I'm getting better at it. But that's, you know, underscore E underscore Evans. If people want to follow me there, post a lot of stuff about mental health, jokes, (laughs) parenting, this Mm -hmm. interview is one of the heavier ones that I've ever done. Usually they're very light and mostly just me making jokes. So it's different content than what people might be expecting. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, yeah, it's a mix of like personal experiences, mental health um, and then jokes. Yeah, no, that's great. So we're at me-evans.com for her website, a funny blog about terrible things. I'll provide all the links to her social channels and website in the show notes as well. And we'll be posting some audio clips as we go through so you can get little snippets and little takeaways from this in addition to listening to the whole episode, which is a little bit over an hour this time because we had so much juicy stuff to talk about. (laughs) Just because I I ramble endlessly. (laughs) <laughs> oh, no, it's good. I, as we were saying before, you know, we started recording, I'm just like, I enjoy listening to long conversations about good topics. And like that one hour cutoff is like a, 
is a strange thing. Sometimes it works for some topics, but sometimes I think you just need more time. And we're all dynamic and very, you know, well-rounded, well-rounded and weird, as you said, people. <laughs> so we have all these yeah. things we need to talk about. And I think that's a really, really great thing. And I want to just thank you so much for taking the time and the energy and the effort. I know with a toddler and a pet and a family and everything going on in your life. This is a precious hour. So I want to thank you so much for that. And yeah, just continue to wish you well. We'll be keeping in touch and posting updates that you have. I'll be happy to share that with listeners. And um, oh, thank you, Megan. It's been fantastic to finally speak with you in person after <laughs> just, you know, DMing for a while. And um, I really love the show been a real pleasure as this is like a joy for me this hour has been like a vacation so really thank oh, you oh that's that makes <laughs> me feel so good I'm glad I feel that way too this is like it's work but it's work that I love and I love connecting with people like you and as Kule was saying we're like we're best friends now and like we have to talk all the time and, <laughs> I love her you know, we need to just we She's could maybe do like a, a group zoom call or something that would be fantastic yes that would be really fun she's great like she was my as you know roommate in school and she's just a fast friend so I'm so glad you got to chat with her as well yeah it's a wonderful connection so listeners thank you for being a part of this conversation with us please connect with Emmy online and through all the information available in the show notes you too can join our circle of friends and and be in the know with all the fun humorous and deep things that we talked about today and, and find those parallels in your own life. And be sure to stay tuned for the next episode of Maya, my yoga audio, where it's always a great time for your mind to be on the mat. <laughs>